0: Our gospel lesson for this morning comes to us from the first eight verses of Mark's gospel. But before turning to Mark, I want quickly to point out something significant about the opening verses of the gospel of John. The light, John writes in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness... And the darkness did not overcome it. Now I mention this verse because I want quickly to point out the oddity of the verb tenses in it. The light shines in the darkness, John begins, here using a verb in the present tense. But the darkness did not overcome it. Here he shifts into the past tense. The light shines, present tense, but the darkness did not overcome it, past tense. Now had I been St. John's English teacher, I would have docked him points for tense jumping. But alas, that is how St. John chose to write it, and who am I to quibble with the disciple whom Jesus so deeply loved? Okay, that's enough with the grammar lesson for this morning let's turn now to mark chapter one that is let's turn to our actual gospel lesson for this morning now according to mark chapter one folks from all of judea thronged to john the baptist in the wilderness something about john's call to repentance something about John's demand that the people confess their own waywardness and that they commit to a new way of living. Something about this call convicted these folks. And so repent they did. Their immersion in the Jordan River being the tangible sign of their sincerity and their commitment. But here's what I want us to reflect on about this and what I want us to take seriously about it this morning. All of those who earnestly repented of their sins before being dunked by John in the Jordan, all of them, including John himself, all of those repentant sinners, no sooner having arisen from the baptismal waters, all of them inevitably sinned once more and fell short yet again. Of God's glory. This is just a hold card fact, or cold hard, depending how you want to pronounce that. The point here being, repentance for us as human beings is indeed necessary. For we are shamefully remiss if we go through life unaware of our complicity and the brokenness of things and uncommitted to doing something to make amends for it. But neither our repentance nor our sincere efforts to fix things are enough. Because God created the world to be a world of unimpeded justice and righteousness and peace. A world of true untrammeled flourishing. And that means that our lives and that every aspect of our lives must ultimately be in harmonious concordance with this state of glory. Or put differently, we are not only to recognize and to repent for how far we have fallen short in the past. We are likewise supposed to refrain from falling short again. And that is the part that none of us can do. That is the part that none of those coming to John the Baptist for baptism could do. And that is the part that not even John the Baptist himself could do, which is what makes John's confession in today's gospel of such paramount significance. There is one coming after me who is more powerful than I. Today is the second Sunday in Advent, and as we discussed last week, Advent, the season that precedes Christmas, begins not by looking back to the incarnation of God in Jesus, an event that took place in Judea some 2,000 years ago, but instead Advent begins by looking forward to the return of Christ Jesus in the fullness of God's kingdom, an event that will take place no one knows when. Yes, Advent begins, we said last week, by focusing on what Christ's coming 2,000 years ago points toward. Which is to say, Advent begins by focusing on the just and righteous and peaceable world that will materialize at his future coming. For such a glorious world, Advent reminds us, is deeply incongruent with the world we actually live in now. Yet, such a world, Advent also reminds us, is a world that we believe to be coming and is therefore a reality that we are called to live in light of today. To the point of this sermon, it is this living in light of element that Advent is designed to call our attention because when we find ourselves focusing on the incongruity between our aspirations for ourselves and for this world, the incongruity between that and our actual lived reality, what we find when we do so is that no matter how earnestly we strive to live in light of this coming reality, we nonetheless fall short day in and day out of our best and our worthiest intentions. For we can indeed approximate the vision we realize, which is not nothing, but we are never, in fact, able to truly achieve it. And such Advent deliberately reminds us is our helpless human predicament. This Advent is designed to help us. Remember that it is in the recognition of this innate helplessness that it is in recognizing the tension between the world we desperately want to live in and our inability as human beings to bring that world about. Advent is designed to remind us that it is in the recognition of this helplessness that we then remember anew the singular significance of Christ Jesus which is to say we then remember anew why the incarnation was necessary in the first place. And what it is that we as Christians believe Christ Jesus saves us from. Do y'all remember those whack-a-mole games that we used to play as kids? y'all remember that? That game at arcades and at fairs where you're given a big mallet and you have to pound these little mole-looking creatures as they randomly pop up. From various holes. Do y'all remember this game? No sooner in that game have you dispensed with one of these moles than another mole pops out somewhere else. Then after whacking that mole, then perhaps another one and then another one. Well, then that first mole pops back out of that same first hole. And so you just keep pounding and pounding and whacking and whacking. But in the end, it all just feels futile because the moles just keep popping back out. Well, Advent reminds us that such is the human predicament. We whack one mole, which is to say we repent and we strive to do better. We try to be better only for another mole to pop back up somewhere else. And then we whack that new mole. And then another one just for that first mole to pop back up. Yes, Advent reminds us. That here on the near side of God's kingdom come that human history is the story of people, both individuals and collectives, trying to correct past mistakes and trying to atone for grave wrongdoings, only then to compound those mistakes, often and ironically compounding them through our most sincere efforts to fix them. Oh, helpless sinners that we are, who will save us from this tragic predicament we cry out with the Apostle Paul? Now, I realize that this might all sound both pessimistic and cynical, but I assure you that it is not. It is instead just sober realism, an honest accounting of things. Tom Long, the acclaimed preacher whom no one would accuse of pessimism, once remarked, and I quote As a Christian, I don't believe in progress. I believe in resurrection. I'm going to do that again so you can sit with it. As a Christian, I don't believe in progress. I believe in resurrection. Now Long's point here is not that we can't improve upon things in this world or grow as human beings or form a more just and more humane society. We can and we should and what's more we have and we do. No, Long's point and my point and John the Baptist's point is that whatever we might achieve insofar as progress and growth is concerned will always be at best an approximation of what we are ultimately aiming for And moreover, that because of the intractable nature of sin and because of the way that sin so seamlessly retreats only to reappear like a mole in an arcade game, because of this, so much of what we do accomplish in approximation of a better self and of a better world gets sooner or later marred and or altogether effaced, blown out, that is, like a candle in the wind. An image that leads me back to St. John and to his inexcusable grammar in chapter 1, verse 5 of his gospel. And thinking this week about the whack-a-mole nature of human sin, of human reality. And thinking this week about the tension that we live in daily between who we want to be and who we really can be between the world that we want to live in and the world that we're actually able to create, between the lovely flickers of light that we can indeed generate and the relentlessness of the darkness that soon enough covers so much of that light back over. In thinking about these things this week, I suddenly realized what St. John was up to with his tense jumping. For the light does shine in the darkness, present tense. All the time the light shines, our lights shine, all day, every day, little acts of kingdom living are taking place. But in all of those cases, the darkness soon enough overcomes it again in some way, mars it in some way. The mole is indeed whacked, but then yet another mole just inevitably pops The final mole of all being the dark mole of death itself. Can't overcome that one on our own. That, St. John is saying, is the reality of our human predicament. That it is a darkness that in the final analysis we can't on our own steam simply escape. However, in this one case St. John is proclaiming in chapter 1 verse 5, in this one remarkable case of this Jesus of Nazareth, the light not only shines, but the darkness did not overcome it. Not just has not overcome it, not just will not overcome it. No, the darkness did not overcome it. Past tense, completed, finished, done. And on that did not, John is saying, hangs everything. Yes, repent, John the Baptist proclaimed, turn your lives around and live in accordance with the coming kingdom of God. So John the Baptist said, and all of Judea, according to Mark, flocked out to him and did that very thing. And they were sincere about it. But John the Baptist knew what lies in the heart of humankind. John the Baptist knew that all we can do as human beings is confess our limitation and then do our best to approximate the vision to which we are called. Which, if left there, is indeed a pessimistic perspective on reality, no doubt. But John the Baptist fortunately knew something else too. John the Baptist also knew that one more powerful than himself, that one more powerful than all of us was coming after him. One whose light could not be overcome. One for whom the moles would be quieted forever. One who baptizes not with water, but one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Dear family, on this second Sunday in Advent, we confess that while I, in my human frailty and sinfulness, baptized Ian Smith with water today, Christ Jesus baptizes him with the Holy Spirit. And as such, though he be buried with Christ in Christ's death, so too will Ian, like all of us in Christ, one day be risen with Christ Jesus in the glory of his resurrection. At which point there will be no more moles to whack. At which point there will be no more darkness to overcome. At which point heaven and earth shall be joined together in the final consummation and in the glory of God's design for all things. No, we don't as Christians believe in simple progress. We as Christians believe in resurrection. So pessimism here this morning? Not hardly. For eye has not seen nor has ear heard the glory that God has prepared for us and has prepared for this resurrected world come that final day. Yes, for now, here in this time between times... A sober analysis and facing of reality demands that we acknowledge that darkness does indeed all too often cover over our best efforts to let Christ's light shine. But shine them we do anyway, because soon and very soon, the season of Advent reminds us, the one whom the darkness did not overcome will return to fully and finally flood all things in light. And so on this second Sunday in Advent, I invite us, dear family, to hear afresh this Advent news. That even now, in our frailty, we are called to prepare the way. But one more powerful than we are is indeed coming. And all God's people said, Amen. And I'll be down front now to receive